Hello, this is Dr. Nigam Arora here with How to Launch an Industry. I'm pleased to share the third episode from our three-part series, Live from Psychedelic Science 2023, where our team conducted interviews with leaders in the psychedelics industry live from the exhibit hall floor at the largest psychedelics conference in modern history. This third episode focuses on culture. If you haven't already, check out the first and second episodes focused on research and business, respectively. Here's how the interviews are structured. First, we frame the moment to our interviewees as follows. A variety of psychedelics are undergoing clinical trials for numerous indications. DCRIM and medical programs are sweeping the nation and the globe. And there are 13,000 of us who work in the industry or simply care to learn about its many facets and potentials here together, literally under one roof at the largest psychedelics conference in modern history. And with that frame, we asked each interviewee the same four questions. What does this moment mean to you professionally? What does this moment mean to you personally? What is a barrier you faced working in psychedelics and have recent changes in the industry made that better or worse? And last, we simply ask them, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience here at HLI? On this culture-focused episode, we have interviews from the following eight folks. Sarah Rose Siskind, comedian and founder of HelloSciCom. Taylor Bratches, who's doing work-study at the Sound Mind Institute and is an energy worker at Agni and Soma in Denver. Lorianne Chavez, the Development and Operations Officer at Shakruna Institute. Anna Simons, the Executive Director of the Etheridge Foundation and a member of our cast here at HLI. Victor Pablo Acero, who is the co-founder of both the Intercollegiate Psychedelics Network and the Penn Psychedelics Collaborative. He's also pursuing his PhD in biotechnology at Penn. Ben Sorelnik, who is a graduate student in the Psychoactive Pharmaceutical Investigation Program at UW-Madison and a consultant to psychedelics IP and VC firms. Victoria Littman, an attorney focused on the nonprofit sector and an adjunct professor at the Roger Williams School of Law in Rhode Island. And to close out the episode, we have HLI cast member David Valancourt interviewing yours truly. With that, we'll go ahead and jump into my first interview with Sarah Rose Siskind, the founder of Hello SciCom. Yeah, of course. Hope you listen. I, I want to ask you, what does it mean to you on a professional level, this moment we're in? It is really a watershed moment of as psychedelics go mainstream, are we going to be able to preserve the helpful cultures that have come with it while it was underground? And I, by helpful cultures, I mean 
really like an intersection of several major groups. Number one, indigenous, like, you know, centuries old traditions, like shout out to the Shipibo, <laughs> the more recent, you know, peyote traditions, but like, you know, lots of traditions, West African, indigenous traditions, but then also recreational traditions, like learning how to um, test you know, the substances you're taking, knowing, for example, to use um, ring pops when you're on MDMA because mm. you're going, you're, your jaw is going to get tight. Like these are actually like we think of them as very casual or funny little um, peculiarities, but these are helpful um, yeah. institutional learnings. So there's recreational indigenous therapeutic, underground therapeutic, like how do you take the good parts of that, you know, whisper network. Mm. Um, like, for example, one part of the underground network is people have to really want to commit to taking psychedelic therapy if they're going to risk jail time. Mm. How do you preserve that sense of commitment when things are legalized and the access is easier? Mm. So those are three major traditions, recreation, therapy, indigenous, that are now we're going mainstream. Like, can we preserve those important cultural elements? Mm. And this is the watershed moment to make sure that we bring those along as the substances themselves get legalized, can we also make ubiquitous those cultures? Mm. Yeah, uh, I really appreciate that response. I often talk about the culture on this podcast, and I say this thing on the shoulders of who? On the shoulders of what? And actually, I want to do an episode. I right. had this idea two years ago to do an episode on the shoulders of. Yeah. And then I wanted to invite someone like David Nichols on that podcast. Yeah. But then turns out we named the David Nichols podcast episode 20 grams because he was telling us about how he synthesized the first 20 grams of psilocybin and DMT for all these like landmark studies. That's great. Anyways. Um, no, but I absolutely agree with you. And, yeah, it's um, a big intersection. It's like it sort of reminds me of like uh, if you've ever seen the 1970s movie The Warriors, it's like I'm not <laughs> interesting story to reference at this point in the interview. It's about in New York City. A gathering of tribes is like a bunch of different gangs oh. meet up in the Bronx and there's one giant leader who says essentially lay down your arms and like let's all be on the same side he mm. says can you dig it that's his big like okay. <laughs> and it's a very 70s okay. movie but the point is I feel like that's what this is it's a gathering of tribes the decrim the legalize the mm. medicalize mm. the indigenous mm. like the recreational we got all mm. different types of people here and the only mm. thing we have in common is we all like to f trip and can we <laughs> take that and be on the same side so that we can finally push this final hump and make this medicine like available to the mainstream public wow um can you dig it Nigam? i'm can you dig it i'm i'm digging it pretty thoroughly <laughs> if i do say so myself <laughs> Pretty thoroughly and pretty actively over a pretty significant period of time. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So uh, on to our next question. Yeah. What does this moment mean to you on a personal level? About five years ago, I read Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. Michael Pollan has introduced many people into the psychedelic world. Many people know him as the pollinator. Okay. That was uh, fairly true in my case. And as I read his book, it read like an anthology, a cataloging mm. of the major stars in the constellation of psychedelic experts. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, when he writes the sequel or when somebody writes the sequel, I want to be in that book. I want to wow. be one of those people who pushes us further. Yeah. And I have been really honored to be able to share stages mm. at this conference with incredible 
comedians. Mm. And we've been able to add some levity into this world. And I didn't, I didn't know if the psychedelic community was strong enough, frankly, to make fun of itself or to not take itself so seriously. But with assistance of these really great comedians, Shane Moss and Adam Strauss, we've been showing that there's, there's appetite for it and that we can actually take joy and not just like such heavy ceremonial seriousness in the healing. So for me personally, you know, the way people have been approaching me, it's just been um, really validating, I have to say, a little overwhelming um, because it's a conference and there's like 20,000 people here that I just want, well, there's 13,000 people here and I just want to trip with everybody and hug them and hear about their earliest trauma and I can't. But well, you're having the endogenous trip with all of these people, just like me. I Yeah, this is kind of like a very mind-altering experience, just being in the presence of many consciousnesses. I don't think so I'm... I don't, sorry to interrupt. I don't think yeah, I'm going to be the same after this. Yeah, you feel like already very changed? Yeah, you know, it's one of those moments where you kind of feel like you've been like preparing the whole time. You didn't really know it. Yes, I totally, I totally relate yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I didn't realize that I had slept so much in the past couple of weeks so I could sleep so little this week. I just, oh, wow. Um, let's not talk about my sleep okay, uh, patterns right. to, <laughs> as to uh, alleviate as much uh, trauma from this episode as possible. <laughs> okay. okay, Was that a good joke? Was yes, that a good psychedelic no, uh, trauma joke? Okay, yeah. so. Um, no, but I appreciate what you're doing. And I think um, there's all kinds of medicine, you know, uh, and I believe laughter is medicine. Totally. I believe levity is medicine. It absolutely uh, is. I mean, I had a comedy teacher who once, I asked him, like, can we make jokes about things that are harmful or hurtful? Mm. And he said, the medicine goes where it hurts. Yeah. I always liked that a lot. That's how I feel about laughter. Yeah. I say uh, this thing, as much as I'm into science and I'm into orating and art and all yeah. this other stuff I'm into. Um, do you do the cover designs? So, so I've designed a few of these, oh, good uh, for you. but we, we've collaborated with over 20 artists from all around the world. That's great. Yeah. Anyways, what I was saying, saying I'm, I'm also into comedy and, uh, or I shouldn't say I'm into comedy. I'm into humor. Hmm. And, uh, I believe firmly that the funniest stuff is the most potent. Like if you're not poking something, it's probably not that funny. <laughs> and if you're poking something, it's like, it's a little bit raw. Like that's just, the, that's the funny stuff, you mm -hmm. know? So Anyways, um, okay, so uh, simply, I'm really enjoying this, simply for the sake of time. Sure. Next question for you, Sarah. Yeah. We've all faced barriers working in cannabis, working with psychoactives. Um, can you share one barrier that you've encountered in working with um, psychedelic psychoactives and share with our audience if these recent changes in the industry have made that easier to deal with or maybe harder to deal with? They're mostly positive. Um, I would say... The biggest one is what launched me into the psychedelics world was a um, contamination issue mm. where I was sold something and I almost died. You did ingest? Yes. Okay. And that really would not happen. You don't usually hear stories where people buy a Bud Light and then they end up in the emergency room right. because they have regulations. They're very transparent about right. like to regulators about how their ethanol is incorporated into the beverage. Right. Um, that doesn't happen in above ground markets. And right. so to me, that's one of the most important things. But the second most important is as I've gotten bigger in the psychedelic field, a lot of people ask me for help. They want connections. They want underground therapists. And it's very hard when you've probably experienced this too, like as you get a bigger spotlight, get a lot of requests. Um, and as you get more requests, you're exposed to a greater um, 
danger of liability. And I want to help these people. I often direct them to ketamine clinics or mm. to MAPS trials, but right. it's very expensive for, for ketamine, unless you have a chronic pain diagnosis, by the way. That's how you get uh, free ketamine. That's how insurance covers it. Oh, yeah, F- really right. important. Word to, word the, to wise. the wise. Yeah. Word and to then the, wise. the clinical trials, you know, they're very hard to get into, and you might be in a control group. So also, like, they're legal outlets, but they're difficult. Right. I cannot wait in the post-prohibition world to give people good access to not just a therapist, but a therapist I like. Like, this is a therapist that comes well-reviewed. Right. You know, like, I cannot wait for that transparent world. Right. I I want to identify with that because I'm in a position where I know too much (laughs) on five different fronts to make a recommendation other than exactly what you said. I tell people, if they ask me for a recommendation, I say... Find a medical doctor who you trust and try ketamine mm-hmm. or apply for a clinical trial. Yeah, yeah. Beyond that, in this phase, right. I don't have any recommendation to make you. Right. Or maybe because, travel to Jamaica. You know, that's, well, there's but that. Even, but even that for me, like, I don't know those people. I don't yeah, trust them. I'm, that's I'm true. like, I'm a huge relationship person. So if people ask me to make a recommendation, what I'm going to say is go to a medical professional who you trust and yeah. trust them. Actually, I will you say... Know? On this note, there is one thing I feel like that is missing in the psychedelics landscape, a business Mm. that's missing. Yeah. And nobody I have seen is filling it. And that is to be the Yelp for psychedelics. Hear me out. (laughs) I I talked to to a guy at this booth who's trying to build it. I'm sure there's a few. Is it Healing Maps? Uh, He's just starting. Yeah, he's just starting. I want that to be filled and to be well known. You have to have a big marketing budget. Yeah, yeah. Um, But the the issue with it Mm. is you are going to potentially run afoul of a lot of companies because you're going to have to be honest. Mm. You're going to have to say, like, this company could use some work. Right, and that means right. that means you're, not everybody's going to like you. So that's really hard to find somebody to start that company right, right, right now right, because right. it's important to be beloved well, by the, the whole uh, community. The gentleman who I met at, at the booth here yesterday who want to start it, um, he's a combat veteran. Uh, he's gone through a lot. Oh, I think he, so he, I think he's he used take, to be. Think, if he can uh, take a bullet, he can take criticism I was, I was from I, the psychedelic community. I think a little. <laughs> and I was actually speaking with him about, hey, well, if you're going to do that, yeah. then, you know, well, you should have, you know, people's certifications and you should have people like we were just kind of discussing ways to right. make it legit. Oh, that's and I great. think um, like exactly like you were saying, like if, if the guy can go into a gunfight for our country, I right. think he could take the heat yeah. on a, on a Yelp. That's for the kind of guy you know? we need. Yeah, no, it was, it was, um, it was a great conversation. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are a little bit over time yeah, on the interview, um, but I just want to give you just really quick at the end. Um, uh, do you want to shout out something you're working on? Uh, oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Let, let the audience well, know. Okay. I appreciate that. I am a psychedelic comedian. So if you ever have any like corporate gigs or events, integration circles, you know, whatever it is, I think anything could be made better with uh, comedy. Um, and that's my specialty. And then if you need any help communicating, if you're like a scientist or anybody communicating a technical message, I actually have a company of fellow science comedy writers that mm. help people get complex messages across simply and in an entertaining way. Right. We're like creative consultants. Right. So right. Right. that company is called Hello Psycom, HelloSci.com. 
And that's my plug. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Nigam. Absolutely. And to uh, just to, to qualify that plug, um, I'm remembering that we actually met because we worked together through a project I was working on with Hello Psycom, and that was cool. Uh, so thank you. Recommended. It was Give it really a shout. fun. It was at, yeah, we helped a little bit with like some ideas for this podcast. Yeah, so that have been I really implemented. Appreciate that. Yeah, thank so it's you. a it's one of those things where you know the the circle, the loops in a life open, and then. A lot of circles in life get opened, and only some of them close. Hmm. So this kind of feels like that loop that we opened two years ago is closing. So we never have to talk again is what you're saying. <laughs> Audie, she can't see me, but I frowned when she said that. So, All right. Yeah, well, so. we're at uh, you know, one and a half times the interview for, uh, for Sarah Rose Siskind, um, and that's cool. I'm cool with that. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> all right, listener. Um, we'll see you again soon. And Sarah, hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you for having me. That was great. Next up, we have my interview with Taylor Bratches, who is an energy worker at Agni and Soma in Denver and a student at the Sound Mind Institute. What does this moment mean to you on a professional level? Oh boy, uh, so much. So I went to the first, I think one of the first MAP psychedelic science conventions in 2010. Wow. <laughs> and I met Alexander Shulgin there. Wow. I met Stanislav Grof there. I was very wide-eyed, didn't know much. And that led me on this path of entering the psychedelic world very yeah. intensely. So for me as a professional now, uh, working in this space as a psychedelic facilitator and a healer and all the things that I do, it feels like the perfect moment for me personally to step into this realm on a much more professional level than I ever have before, despite being yeah. in the space since, you know, for God, 15 plus years now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So on a professional level, I would say that's what it means to me. And I was a speaker yesterday as well. So being able to share my ideas with this amazing community is, is wonderful. It is. Uh, I, I totally feel that. And um, I definitely had a moment where I entered the cannabis industry uh, in 2018. And I said, OK, I'm going to make a post about cannabis and what I'm doing professionally on LinkedIn. And that was just this moment I couldn't believe was happening. Yeah, right. right. And then um, and now it's just gangbusters. Right. Yeah. So now I have a podcast about psychedelics and cannabis. Yeah. And you're sitting here with me and I'm at the MAPS conference. Right. Yeah. So wild. Um, so uh, to take it to the other side, um, we talked about professionally. Can you share a little bit about what it means to you on a personal level? For me, it's honestly really hard to separate the professional and the personal at this point uh, because it, everything I do, the healing work I do, the psychedelic facilitation I do, even my work as a DJ, I'm a professional DJ, uh, it's all very personal. It's all things that I love so much. and. I, I would not be who I am today without my own psychedelic journeying. And psychedelics, uh, I would say, really fully got me on my path as a spiritual seeker, as an energy worker, which is mm. what I now do as a big part of my professional work, uh, and also into this realm as an above-ground psychedelic facilitator. All these things, 
you know, were born out of really, really deeply personal psychedelic experiences when I was young. Uh, and I just, to be honest, like I felt so deeply moved during that initial opening speech from MAPS the first day. Mm. I was brought to tears by it because wow. I realized this work just, it means so much to me. Yeah. And I think it means so much for the world at large, what yeah. we're capable of doing with these medicines. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's, it's so personal, you know? Yeah. I care so much about the power of these substances yeah. and what they are doing to the human species. So yeah, it's, it's personal, it's global. Yeah. I, I sincerely appreciate your mm -hmm. reply there. Um, we've gotten some different responses and um, you, yours uh, was very heartfelt. Mm, I appreciate thanks. that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so uh, going to our next topic, mm -hmm. We want to talk a little bit about barriers. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm hoping you can share one barrier that you've encountered working in psychedelics. And if the recent changes in the industry have made that barrier easier or harder to deal with. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one of the biggest barriers I have thought about it's more of a question though around who's allowed to practice yeah. and become a facilitator and as somebody who doesn't have letters after my name but who has 18 years of experience with psychedelics and also is an energy worker and I believe in the power of these other modalities yeah. in terms of holding space for others yeah. I think it's super super important that people who do not have specific educational backgrounds, but who have a lot of experience with the medicine itself. Yeah. I, I believe that those people should be allowed to practice as psychedelic facilitators. So the barrier, I guess, is, uh, yeah, around that question, who's legitimate and who's not. Yeah. And I hope that it can stay open and that that conversation can stay open. You would know better than me about Colorado regs. I, uh, I haven't read them in detail, mm -hmm. but I know in Oregon, Part of the reason that they structured the regs as they did and structured the training programs and the whole on the whole process of becoming a state certified therapist to make it I don't want to say it's not rigorous, but just the way they made it was to allow folks such as yeah. yourself or in similar kind of parallel situations to enter the space without huge barriers of go spend a hundred grand to get a degree absolutely and stuff like that so totally. I, you're saying a lot of novel stuff that i haven't heard yet today or mm -hmm. heard yet um that's a barrier i actually have not heard either so i appreciate mm -hmm. that yeah too. well um, and, and just to follow up on that yeah. you're right and i think for now it's pretty great because it allows people like me to be able to facilitate uh and for example, Sound Mind Institute, who I also did my psychedelic facilitator training through. Yeah. They, uh, I now can, through them, legally practice in Oregon, pretty much. So uh, they are very open in terms of you don't have to be a licensed therapist. So I hope it stays that way because I think that there are a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge in this space who aren't necessarily licensed therapists. Definitely. Yeah. It's, um, though licensed therapists are amazing. Of course. No, it's, uh, <laughs> that's actually one thing. Uh, another theme that's come up, uh, I was just talking about in the last interview, uh, with Ben is that there's space for everybody. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, when people say this is right, or this is right, or this is better, well, it turns out to each their own. And as long as it's, you know, sincere, safe, 
then there's a path for everyone. Yeah, you know? totally. So, okay, so we've got about a, a minute left on our interview time. I just wanted to ask if there's anything else um, you might want to share with our audience, uh, maybe from your experience here at the conference or from the work you're doing. Oh my gosh, yeah, so much. Well, I'll mention briefly my talk yesterday was called Rave as Ritual, the Intersection of Collective Movements and Entheogens. So I'm really, really fascinated by recreational use and the yeah. power of that. Uh, I actually think that there's a lot to be explored in the recreational space, yeah. especially viewing things like rave culture as an intentional psychedelic ritual, mm. which for many people, that's what it is. Yeah. And then I'll also say I'm really interested in uh, the overlap of energy work and psychedelics. Mm. Energy work is an emerging field that's right. not very well respected at this point, but I am really, really a big believer in its power in the psychedelic spaces. Totally. So I just, I just want to mention those two things that I'm coming from this whole world a little differently. You know, I'm, I'm focused on on some alternative ways of, of viewing things, especially around recreational use and energy healing. So yeah, yeah. I really. Uh I, I appreciate you bringing both those things up. One thing that um, both in cannabis and psychedelics that um, I'm so highly aware of is, uh, you know, whose shoulders are we on? Yeah. And people um, just I, I shouldn't be long winded here either. But um, why are we here? You know, yeah. and we're here because of the culture mm -hmm. and med medicalization is great for that lane. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, like, you just bringing in the culture and yep. like we're standing on the culture. Yep. And we're standing on all yep. the little minutia that yep. built this culture. Yeah. And the culture is still thriving. It is. It's just that it it's it doesn't look like what it looked like in the 60s, right. but it still is here and it's really present with us. And rave culture and electronic music culture yeah. is a huge part of psychedelic culture today. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. Just wanted to mention that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we hope you have a great rest of the conference. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Next, we have my interview with Lorian Chavez, the Development and Operations Officer at Chakruna Institute. I want to ask you, what does this moment mean to you professionally? Well, professionally, um, I think for me personally, uh, it's my first time in this big of a setting and I have a speaking presence and I'm holding space for many, many people. Um, so it's a huge launch into sort of uh, out of my professional comfort zone of uh, really working with small groups, really working on a more individual level to make sure that reciprocity is back, uh, brought back to these communities. Um, instead, now, given this huge stage at such a young age, uh, with such a responsibility to bring the right message forward, um, it, it's, a, it's a big stride to have like this big of a professional development opportunity. I think that's so amazing. I mean, I personally am a dues-paying member of Shakruna because I I believe in what you all do. Um, so I want to ask you um, related question, and you kind of tapped on it a bit already. On a personal level, what does it mean to you? Just just for you as a person, you know? Yeah. Well, obviously, my personal life and my professional life, the 
there is no line. <laughs> um, but personally, it's been such a sense of pride to be able to represent my community, to be able to step up in ways that feel authentic and that feel meaningful. Um, there are so many people here and it's been such a, an amazing opportunity to sit down with some people and have personal interactions and be able to um, build more personal relationships on this professional basis, which is so important with this work. This is not just any other industry. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel very strongly that it's very necessary for these professional relationships to be built on a very personal basis yeah. um, because we need to know each other's hearts and what each other's personal missions are and if we're aligned. And so personally, being able to sit down with all of these people and have all of these like really human connections um, has been so special for me. It is really uh, uh, quite an alien experience for a conference. I was saying earlier on in the interview, just right where you and I are sitting, you can see I'm like facing into the aisle, and I'm just endlessly smiling at strangers walking by as I'm doing these interviews. Even right now, I've smiled at five or seven strangers <laughs> speaking with you. And it's just one of those things where you smile at a stranger and almost all of them smile back. And I, you go up and you talk to them and it's just fascinating. And I, I just totally feel what you're saying. They're all um, on some entheogen. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it could be endogenous or non-endogenous. <laughs> and it's not, not for me to say. I'm not really into controlling uh, other people's uh, actions personally. So I want to move on uh, with the interview. I have a couple more questions for you. Um, you know, we've all encountered barriers in the space, uh, working in psychedelics. Uh, can you share with us uh, one barrier that you've encountered working in psychedelics? And if... Uh, the recent uh, changes and evolution in the industry have made that barrier easier to deal with or harder to deal with? Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm not the first one to say this today. Our biggest barrier is always going to be funding. It always has been. It always will be. Mm. And that barrier, interestingly, I don't know if I have a quite a firm answer on like how that's really changed because I'm so new to this industry. Yeah. However, I will say that I think there's a, a sort of like intuition that as this industry grows, uh, that there's more funding, right? That there's more access to certain things. Yeah. And um, I will say that there's also like quite an oversaturation of the amount of organizations and things that are available that are looking for funding. Right. And everyone is doing such great work. Everyone is doing like has such a powerful mission and, and it deserves funding that I ha I will say like it's been really difficult to find people um, who are, are really willing to step up and contribute in ways of uh, creating real sustainable reciprocity for these mm. communities, creating real authentic change for these communities, mm. ways that um, are decolonizing the sort of philanthropy that we're seeing and, mm. and making sure that at the root of everything, uh, it's all about conservation and respect. There's this thing, it's like this basic tenet. I used to do a, a lot of community service. I had a community service scholarship in college where we really like learned like the theory. I mean, I took classes on community service. We had this thing called service learning where you would learn the theory of community service and then you would go do it and you would mm -hmm. connect these things. And, the, and one of the biggest takeaways I had is that if you want to help a community, first thing, listen. You can't just shove money down someone's throat. You can't mm -hmm. just say... I'm in power, I have X, I have Y, here's a solution I see, right? So that's another reason that uh, that I personally um, align with Shakruna because I see you guys taking the approach uh, exactly as you're saying and, um, and championing that approach. And uh, so I, I kind of going off on a tangent there, but back <laughs> to your thing about the funding, I think it's interesting because you're mentioning it here for nonprofit focused on indigenous reciprocity. A few hours ago I had um, uh, CEO of a drug development company sitting mm -hmm. here saying the same thing, biggest issue funding. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're saying, like everyone's trying to solve a problem and we got a lot of problems and um, it's gonna take money to get it done, right? 
Yeah, and I think it's really difficult for people in this uh, spiritual work to talk about money, and it's a really uncomfortable topic, mm. but it shouldn't be mm. because money is energy. It really mm. is just a unit of energy, and some mm. people can commit their entire lives. They can commit their their body, their mind, their entire life path to this work yeah. um, because they have no money to give, and other people can't. They have jobs. They have things to do. They have kids, um, and there shouldn't be any shame in that. If yeah. you have other units of energy to contribute, um, these indigenous communities need money. Unfortunately, this is the world that we've created and they need money to survive. Organizations like us who are creating sustainable educational resources for yeah. uh, increased accessibility for the people that really need it, for yeah. the BIPOC and queer and women who have really championed this effort and now are losing their seat at the table. Yeah. There are is real intention that needs to be had between how we approach this and unfortunately that takes money to, to fund those initiatives and um, so I just encourage everyone to think about the individual impact that they can have no one thinks that five dollars is a lot however you know remembering that we're a community we're a collective and if yeah. everyone really you know put their energy towards that then we could really all live in the tomorrow that we want to be in absolutely so uh, I just want to give you the opportunity here uh, as the last question is there anything else you would like to share with the HLI audience? Oh, well, just so much. Um, well, on the topic of reciprocity and on the topic of accessibility and on the topic of education, um, I would direct everyone to our membership system, which is really our way of staying in reciprocal relationship with our community. Um, for as little as $5 a month you, and as much as like $250 a month, uh, you get access to like individual circles, uh, Kura circles, uh, queer integration circles, discounts to all of our community forums, free access to all of these lectures, um, um, discounts to all of uh, our in-person events and conferences and courses and educational resources and it's really our way of making sure that um, the people that need this information the most, the people that deserve it, the people that uh, really paved this way uh, have access. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I support that. Listeners, uh, if you've been following the show, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Shakruna. We've had um, other members of uh, the org on the show several times. But if this is your first time hearing about it, definitely go check them out. Uh, check out some of uh, what Lorian has shared with us. So uh, Lorian, thanks so much for joining and uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, much love, appreciate it. Next, we have Dr. Amber Wise interviewing Anna Simons, the Executive Director of the Etheridge Foundation. This is a particularly fun interview as both Amber and Anna are members of our cast here at HLI. So I wanna ask, uh, what does this moment mean to you on a professional level? Wow, well, this event is pretty astounding. It is gigantic. There is so much going on, so many good talks, um, so many interesting booths, and so many people here. I think almost 12,000. So it's a lot. And then, of course, all the other associated events and the deep space, immersion space. But professionally, this is really cool for me because our founder, Melissa Etheridge, spoke on the first day of the conference. and. Uh, Melissa lost her son to opioids about three years ago, and um, in response, 
she founded the Etheridge Foundation to fund research into transformative plant medicine treatments for opioid use disorder specifically. And so we are newer, so letting people know that we're here, letting them know about what we're doing, and for Melissa to connect with the psychedelic community personally is really exciting for me. Great, great. Um, yeah, so kind of leads into on a personal level, what does it mean for you to be here um, in this moment and with all these people? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there are a lot of feelings about it. Overall, I would say excitement um, because we want to see psychedelic medicines and entheogens legalized. I do anyway. I say we. <laughs> we The people who are here generally do. Um, we need you know legal reform and this is a step towards greater access for people who can better their lives with these um, plants and medicines. Uh, and it was also cool. I ended up uh, replacing a friend who couldn't make it on a panel about sports and psychedelics. So that was really fun. I did that yesterday. And then I got to um, speak with some other athletes that I haven't met in person before. So that's always like really fun and rewarding and fulfilling. Yeah, that's one of the cool things about getting together in person, right? Is actually oh, making those connections. It's, it's so good. Yeah. It, the screen zoom, it doesn't compare at all. And I've gotten to see a lot of people in person here who I've only met remotely and it is a world of difference. It's it's great. Yeah, you and I met, well, I guess this is the second time in person. Remember we met so years long ago, ago in Oregon? In a cannabis <laughs> warehouse and you were amazing and cool then and you're even maybe even more because I think as we age we even get cooler oh absolutely yeah. <laughs> um, well it's so exciting to have you here um, can you share a barrier or a challenge that you've had to deal with during your involvement with the psychedelics or cannabis space and if this rapid change in the industry is making it better making it worse maybe mm -hmm. any any thoughts on that well the issue of money is a big thing that is, is is interwoven throughout this space because it has been for many years it's been a movement and a, and a counterculture and now it's become an industry that it's still developing but it's definitely an industry and how do those things interplay and how are we considering the relationships with indigenous communities and traditional medicine holders Still, there's a lot of issues and contention within this space. And of course, as a nonprofit that gives grants, we are always raising money as well. So there, you know, money is just sort of woven throughout this whole thing, which is this, I guess, a reflection of our society. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the most interesting things for me being here is the potential to shift somewhat um, mm -hmm. that money-centric part of society. Mm -hmm. and and make more meaningful connections that aren't so capitalist-based, I guess. You and I, you mentioned you were raised by hippies, so was I. <laughs> so I think, you know, we kind of share this, maybe a similar worldview around money being maybe seen as not a good thing, usually. Like it's, ooh, it's something to, to fear or dislike or, you know, and so that is interesting for me being, you know, head of a foundation <laughs> that raises money, but I am trying to shift and expand my concept of money because I think it doesn't need to be negative. It is a tool that can be neutral, that can be used, you know, for good, for, for bad. Um, and it's important to consider power relationships and, and those things, but in some ways it becomes an expression of people's energy. 
you know? Yeah. And like, you know, our time becomes money and our, you know, all these things. And how can we sort of advance that? How can we evolve? <laughs> and, you know, I think that's where psychedelics plays a part in the, com the cultural conversation of our understanding of our global society and these bigger questions. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective that I have been attempting as well recently <laughs> uh, to have a new relationship with it because money does get things done and it's not all for evil, right? Um, right. And as you're a good example of that for sure in your group and um, research funding is you know, fundamentally what moves science forward. And yeah, so it is important to, to think about those aspects as well in a more positive, positive way. <laughs> <laughs> or to allow for it. You know, I, yeah. I don't want to, you know, things are rarely simple. <laughs> There's always complexity, but I think just sort of having an open mind and being able to hold competing concepts at the same time. And, uh, you know, I guess it's not a coincidence that that's something that psychedelics often helps people do. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's why we're all here. Right. <laughs> Um, well, awesome. Do you have any other thoughts that you want to add while we're here? Yes, I would love for listeners to come visit our website at etheridgefoundation.org. That's E-T-H-E-R-I-D-G-E foundation.org. And you can see some of the grants we've given, our partnerships, the work we're doing, our root relationship contributions, which are a... Um, when we, when we give a research grant to a study, we give a matching grant to biocultural conservation projects associated with that traditional medicine. Oh, awesome. um, so that's something we want to see other research funding organizations start making a practice as well. We would love them to join us in doing that. And our goal is to increase what we're doing there. So yeah, come visit us, be our friend online and socials and feel free to reach out. Awesome, well, thanks so much for your time. It was great to see you, great to spend time with you. And uh, thanks for being a part-time guest on HLI as well. Oh, I love being a rotating <laughs> co-host. It's so fun. All right. Well, we'll talk to you later then, Anna. Have a good day. Thanks, my friend. All right, listener, we're going to take a short break for a message from the sponsor of this episode, and we'll be back with four more fascinating interviews from Psychedelic Science 2023. Harmoniously.com is a modern psychedelic wellness company that bridges the realms of nutrition, medicine, and spirituality forging a therapeutic connection that harmonizes the mind, body, and spirit. Our holistic approach utilizes evidence-based practices like ketamine-assisted therapy and personalized guidance to empower individuals on their wellness journey to inspire self-discovery, inner healing, and transformative growth. Visit us today at www.harmoniously.com to join us in a wellness revolution. Next, we have Dr. Neil Ritter, who is a member of our team at the conference, interviewing Victor Pablo Acero, who is the co-founder of both the Intercollegiate Psychedelics Network and the Penn Psychedelics Collaborative, in addition to nearing completion of his PhD 
in biotechnology at UPenn. I, I want to ask you, what does this moment mean for you on a professional level? Uh, on a professional level, it feels like a uh, just a great time for me to connect with a lot of different leaders in the industry. You know, I'm graduating and uh, defending my thesis in December, so I feel like I'm in a transition stage right now where I am really just trying to find an opportunity to blend in all of my different skills and interests. You know, I, I have a lot of organizational uh, experience, like with strategic planning and project management, um, my research background and policy interests. So I really want to be able to spearhead things uh, and bring together all of those different expertise into a company. And so it's been, um, or some foundation or organization. So it's been a really great opportunity to just meet so many new individuals and just touch base with or people that I hadn't seen in a few years. So it's been great. Uh, yeah, congratulations. This is an exciting time to be graduating in, into this field. Uh, what about a personal level, though? What, is, uh, what does being here mean to, uh, to you as, as a person? Um, I think on a personal level, it feels just uh, two things. One, it's an incredible opportunity to reconnect with uh, friends that you don't get to see very often. You know, you have friends that are therapists in Colorado. I haven't seen this person in like a year and a half. I have, you know, through the Intercollegiate Psychedelics Network, um, it's a distributed organization. So the whole leadership team is all over the United States. And these conferences are always a chance to come together. And this is the biggest showing up that we've had in the organization. We have. Uh, total of nine of our leaders here, almost half of the leadership team here. So it is wow. such a such a heartwarming opportunity to connect with everyone. And from that, we are having all these talks at the conference, and we're all having so many meetings that the conversations that we're having when we're back at the Airbnb and just digesting the day, digesting and interpreting what the field looks like, where it's going forward, um, what roles we see ourselves having in the field. It, it's just an opportunity for such engaging conversation with people that you're close to. So that's what it means to me on a personal level. So is it is it what you expected? It is about exactly what I expected. Yeah, <laughs> you're the first person that uh, that I've asked that question to that has that has answered in, in that way. Uh, people, uh, I've been to a number of uh, neuroscience conferences in the past, and the the vibe here, the the I don't know, camaraderie is quite the right word, but mm. like the excitement and the conversations people are having just feel uh, I just feel better. Feel feel people feel more connected than I have. Uh, than I've experienced at other conferences. So, yeah. so that's cool. I'm glad you have that expectation of yeah, this Yeah, I mean, I, I have been to a lot of psychedelic conferences and a lot of non-psychedelic conferences. And I think the best analog to this, and I guess why this was exactly what I expected, and um, is because I knew it would be the opposite of this other conference, which was uh, Neuroscience 2022. And it's the biggest neuroscience conference in the country, uh, maybe the world. And it uh, had, I think, 35,000 participants this last November. And my God, it, that was atrocious. I truly hope psychedelic science and never even wants to get to that attendance size because it is truly nightmarish but yeah you know it's just uh it's it's those those spaces tend to be very um homogenous in terms of backgrounds even though it's diverse in a sense of oh i work with animals or i work i'm more like uh in the field i do public health i do this it's all very homogenous sense that it just feels like hyper professional there's no play there's no soul and yeah. psychedelic conferences always have such a diverse mix of people. You, there's no other space where I could say, okay, let's get lunch, let me sit down here, and after we go around and introduce ourselves, I talk to a psychiatrist, a shaman, a, a mushroom cultivator, uh, an anthropologist, and a, a neuroscientist. I, I'm never gonna have a table that diverse at any other space, and that lends itself to such a unique atmosphere. And the community is invited in, like people want non-scientists here. They relish a non-scientist being here. 
Yeah, it's uh, these conversations have, have been wonderful, and I think the diversity of people here is, is definitely a large part of it. So as you've been uh, working in this space, uh, and, uh, what challenges, what barriers have you, you encountered? And do you feel like things have been changing uh, on, on that front recently? Um, you know, I think one of the main barriers that I have encountered, uh, and this has been in psychedelics and outside of psychedelics, and I, I do see it changing a little bit, is, um, you know, st I, I think students are uh, kind of relegated often to this uh, mentee class where students are wonderful and everything, but you're wonderful insofar as you are taking following instructions, you know, we're telling you the, the, the things you need to do, we're telling you how to do these things, this is what's okay, this is not what, what's not okay, and as students you just kind of like follow in the path that's laid out for you. And whether it's in the field or not, people normally just, you know, they, they take almost a little bit of offense to students coming in with very little experience, but a lot of passion and ambition and creativity and trying to do something differently. Uh, but I have noticed that changing at, in no large part due to, I mean, no small part due to the Intercollegiate Psychedelics Network. You know, that, although the goal of that organization is to develop students into the next generation of leaders and professionals, it likewise has a secondary purpose that's unintentional but important, which is that it gives students like an equal status as a stakeholder in the field. We're not just here asking how can we help you, how can we help you. We are here saying we believe the field needs to go in this direction. We believe this is important in the field and now we are stakeholders actively moving things there, not just waiting for somebody to let us do something. Yeah, I, I feel like the type of question I hear most here is, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I? And it's um, you know, not a lot of it's technical. It's it's there's just so much confusion over you know what's legal, what's not legal, um, and you know that's changing over time. And you know what are people doing? What what can I do? And uh, it it feels like you're just going to be in the midst of trying to answer these questions for people and help yeah. and help the, the next generation of researchers like you know answer answer these in, in a way where they'll be able to have an impact. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's that's amazing. So is there anything else you uh, you want to share about uh, your your time here? Um. Yeah, I want to share that it's been uh, wonderful. I mean, it's been wonderful to connect with the people here. One uh, organization in particular has been uh, Heroic Hearts and the, the I think Bone Frog, uh, the Bone Frog Foundation or Institute. Um, they have been great to connect with. I love the work they're doing not, uh, with veterans. I love the fact that they're not just trying to connect veterans to these retreats, but they're also trying to do research along with this because ultimately that's going to be the thing that lets us uh, scale this forward. If we have evidence that this works, that we have an understanding of what is happening with this. Um, with these individuals, well, now we can we can get grants, we can expand this, we can move forward, we can make this more accessible, and so it's been great to connect with them, and uh, it's also been uh, great to see some of the critiques that I, I, I levied towards some um, of the uh, industries that were entering the psychedelic TBI space, uh, sort of uh, resonating with individuals. I've been uh, having these conversations for like a year and a half, critiquing some of these companies and their uh, unscientific uh, approaches to their work. Um, yeah no large part like you know like something like developing a psilocybin cbd single oral administration uh no real reason for that being the, the thing to focus on uh and so yeah it's, it's been great to just have these conversations that are individual centered like heart centered but also very scientific i mean it's, it's been incredibly uh energizing and enriching and i'm very excited to uh you know graduate and see my role in the field honestly expand as I leave behind just being a graduate student and doing other sorts of things and just really building up in the field. Well, thank you so much for your work, for uh, for being here, and uh, for joining us on How to Launch an Industry. Uh, thanks so much, Victor. Absolutely. Thank you.
we have my interview with Ben Cyrilnik, a graduate student in the Psychoactive Pharmaceutical Investigation Program at UW-Madison and a consultant to IP and VC firms. So my first question for you, Ben, is what does it mean to you on a professional level? Um, I feel blessed that I have the opportunity to work in an emerging field with such a cultural history that is now being demonstrated by data and rigorous science to have the potential to really help a lot of people. And I think we're doing really meaningful work. We are. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's palpable here, right? Yeah. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you can work on your laptop and Zoom and make a call and make a spreadsheet and submit an experiment to a CRO, even go into the lab, do the experiment, collect the data, and all these piecemeal things, and then you come here. Yeah. And then, and then it turns out there's 11,000 other people doing that yeah. stuff too. Yeah. Um, it's, so. it's a comp, but it's, it's, it's not just industry professionals and academics it's here. It's, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon as well as a medical uh, medicalization of sorts. Right. You have all the decrim efforts across the country, talks of legalization in some places. Yeah. It's, it's a cultural phenomenon. It's, um, yeah, it's one thing uh, one, one of my uh, colleagues said to me at the last psychedelics conference I was at was saying that someone was asking them, oh, well, do you think it should be medicalized or do you think it should be uh, people should use it in their own way? And I thought he had a very simple and smart answer. He said, why does it matter? There's enough room for everybody. Yeah. It's a both end scenario. It's a both end, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if we, if we look at history, psychedelics have been traditionally used in a religious context, in a sacred context. Yeah. They were sacraments. Right. And then when they were brought out into the West in the 1960s, the whole cultural revolution with the hippies happened. Right. They were shunned from society. Research stopped. But along with that, they were also being looked at for therapeutic properties. Right. Now that the data 20 years ago is now showing incredible efficacy in treating a variety of mental health issues. Yeah. It's one thing after the next. Indeed. Yeah. So speaking of one thing, we started professional. And now let's talk about the personal side. What does it mean to you on a personal level? Again, I think it's just uh, really meaningful work. Uh, there's a lot of mental health issues that currently have no real viable treatment options. PTSD, number one, MAPS, MDMA, that's why we're all here. Um, hopefully that'll be approved next year and it'll, it's going to help ease the suffering of a lot of people. Yeah. Personally, that's really fulfilling on a professional level, but also me personally. Just further exploring what the history is of them and what it's going to become, what the next chapters are they going to be written like. I do, uh, I do also take a personal satisfaction, however large or small the contributions are, to just contributing to the field in some small way to drive forward that general progress towards effective therapies, efficacious therapies that you're mentioning. Yeah, it's the yeah. medicalization, it's yeah. the decriminalization. Like I, yeah. I view myself and I think you do also as an advocate. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's the whole gamut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to move on to our next question, you know, we've all faced some barriers in this space. It's not the easiest thing to do. No. <laughs> so uh, can you just share one barrier that you've encountered and um, if these kind of recent evolutions in the industry have made that uh, easier to deal with or harder to deal with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So I just turned 25 a couple of weeks ago. I we think, got a youngin. Yeah, we got a youngin on the five. Yeah, um, I think the largest barrier is access to young people who are interested in the space, how they could contribute, take mm. part, and learn. I find myself being the youngest person in a lot of the rooms that I come into. Yeah. So sort of fighting an imposter syndrome, knowing that I don't really have much to contribute or thinking I don't, but bringing a different perspective to the table. Yeah, that's a, that's a unique response, actually, of all the uh, of all the interviews we've done at the conference so far. And I didn't run them all. Um, the uh, other folks uh, working the booth here with me have done some interviews. But from the ones I've heard, nobody has is, is talked about that. And I think it's so interesting that we do have this, you know, blossoming industry ecosystem, however you want to refer to it. But it's a classic funnel situation where the top of the funnel is the interest and the belief and the bottom of the funnel is the actual jobs or the actual grad programs or the actual the the actual mechanism to get into it you it's, know it's how to launch an industry yeah we're, we're, we're working on it yeah and, so, and the the pod name comes through again and again so uh Okay, so um, I just want to open it up here uh, at the end of our interview. Is there anything else you uh, want to share with the HLI audience uh, from your work or uh, maybe from your experience here at the conference? We have a bright future ahead of us. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be talking with you right now. And I'm just incredibly optimistic about what the emergent industry will become and how we're going to change a lot of people's lives in the process. And I think that's a beautiful place to leave it. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me again, Nigel. Next, we have Callie Hoffman, who is a member of our team at the conference interviewing Victoria Littman, a nonprofit attorney and adjunct professor at the Roger Williams School of Law. I want to ask you, Victoria, what does this moment mean to you on a professional level? You know, to be, uh, consider myself part of, you know, this psychedelic ecosystem that's evolving. It, it feels like, you uh, you know, a place I really, I have to be if I want to be a part of the conversations happening and really solidify relationships. Right now, this industry, even though there's, you know, a few local state uh, efforts, it's really a national industry. And so um, the conference is really an opportunity for everyone to be in the same place and be able to have some of these conversations that are, you know, you can't really have on a Zoom screen when you're uh, coordinating through, you know, more traditional work um, meetings and, and whatnot. So um, definitely the culmination, you know, I've been working on a professional path towards being in cannabis and psychedelics um, for, I guess, seven, eight years now. And um, yet to be here is really just uh, validating. Mm -hmm. I love that. How about on a personal level? What does this moment mean to you? You know, I think there's some overlap there, right? Like, um, I, I think back to some of the first psychedelic experiences I've had and also experiences knowing that I could pursue a career in drug law reform. Um, and, you know, I, I went to a MAPS fundraiser, I remember, for phase two trials in spring of 2016. And to just, like, be able to think about being in that moment. And then it feels like just like a snap of your finger, you know, one pandemic. And all of a sudden, uh, we're here. And there's just so many people here excited um, about the potential of psychedelics and um, to, to help people 
Yeah, and I remember at that event, you know, hearing the testimony of people and, and really feeling inspired, you know. I, we may not be able to solve all the world's problems with psychedelics, but I do think that uh, for people really suffering and even for those um, that just could use some, you know, improvement of well-being, like the, these tools can just be such good resource. And so uh, it really is exciting to see all the people here, uh, you know, rallying around that idea. Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Victoria. Um, I would love to hear from you based on your many years in the industry at this point as an attorney. I would love to hear about one major challenge that you've experienced in this industry and how your experience has been impacted by the rapid growth of the industry. Yeah, so I, I think this challenge is something that I see both on like an interpersonal level and also maybe um, more broadly on the work I do with psychedelic churches. You know, I think psychedelics specifically within different categories of drugs, um, they open people up, they make people open-minded. You know, if you're a well-intentioned, empathetic person who wants to improve yourself and improve the world and you take psychedelics, like they're going to amplify those things. They're going to help you really access what it means to be human and, and what it means to try and make things better for other people. But, um, you know, you see when people are newer and I definitely had a moment in my journey where I was like, man, if we just gave everyone in the world psychedelics, <laughs> man, the world would be such a good place, right? Because like when I take psychedelics, I become a better person. My friends take psychedelics, they become better people. Um, but the truth is, just like any other industry and any other you know aspect of the world, there are bad <laughs> people that are not so open, that are not so empathetic, that are not so well-intentioned, who will you know take psychedelics and they will um, just you know reinforce their ego, they'll um, harm other people within psychedelic settings, they'll, they'll be abused, you know, you see that in the church setting maybe even more because of these like positions of power and the fact that it's really not regulated. Um, so I think with the industry growing so rapidly, you have a lot of new people coming in and they still kind of have that view of like, wow, we could just give everyone psychedelics and the world will be a better place. And it's like, it's just not that simple. Um, and it, it makes it, you know, you have to be careful about who you trust. Like just because two people are both interested in psychedelics, that doesn't mean uh, that they share the same values or um, that they're here for the same reasons. You know, as the potential for the industry has grown, I feel like there's more people who are here seeing it as a potential, um, you know, profit as opposed to seeing it as a potential world changer. But uh, the good news is I think psychedelics are still really powerful and um, it's up to everyone in the industry and everyone involved. Um, you know, like integration matters, value systems matter, cosmology matters, um, and all of those are resources and infrastructure that we can develop, and illegality has nothing to do with that. So um, I think that's some of the work I try and do on like a cultural, religious level, right? Um, and just reminding people like, Taking psychedelics does not inherently mean you're gonna become a better person, right? Like Michael Pollan's book is so popular, like how to change your mind, but it's not necessarily like how to change your mind to make you a better person. It's gonna change your mind, um, and it's really up to all of us uh, how that change will, will happen. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's great talking to you, Victoria. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. For the second time on this episode, we'll have one HLI cast member interviewing another. I have to say special thanks to David Valancourt for proposing to interview me as the closer to this three-part episode. So here we go, closing it out with David Valancourt jumping into the moderator seat and asking me my own four questions. Nigam. Let's start. I want to ask, what does this moment mean to you on a professional level? Hmm. Well, I would say it means a lot. You know, I 
got out of grad school. I completed my PhD in 2016. Uh, even at that point, when I started my PhD in 2011, when I finished in 2016, at both points, five years in between, working professionally in uh, you know psychoactives that seemed a little bit fringe at the time, just didn't seem like a possibility. Whether um, they were valuable medicines, whether they were unexplored frontiers for health in many areas didn't really matter because uh, stigma and, um, you know, some other societal things were at play, you know? So being here now, you know, seven years later, having spent the last six years working in the six, seven years working in the science side of cannabis and psychedelics steadily for that time, um, having come to know so many leaders in this industry these industries that we literally started this podcast to have a forum to talk about it and then to be sitting here at the biggest event in the interviews we've done I mean I think I'm still pro I mean I'm just kind of like processing live here right I think I'm I'm still kind of processing but uh professionally it's been a huge and exciting shift from what I thought it ever could be at several prior points. I appreciate hearing that. It's uh, fascinating. And, you know, work is really about, you know, what you do, not where you do it. And I think there or somebody like yourself and, and perhaps myself included, um, you know, we're very passionate and that's the energy I've also seen as well here. Yeah. So to the extent that there is a different answer, I would love to hear what this means for you on a more personal level. On a personal level... I've had, you know, knowledge and interest in a lot of these topics for some time. And I think I'm not unique, right? I think a lot of us had an interest and understanding and experience, but we didn't talk about it. Or if you talked about it, you talked about it in closed circles, right? And so I think for me personally, this journey of the last seven years, um, also the journey of the podcast and really just talking about uh, our experiences and broadcasting it publicly has really been empowering for me personally to just be able to display, to share, to provide a platform for others to display and share. It means a lot on a personal level. I would say having been a longtime guest and, you know, occasional guest host, it's, it's kind you're, of an you're, honor. You're a cast member. Say it how it is. Fair enough. All right. Cast member, Dave. And, and, uh, and a day one. You've mm -hmm. been with us from day one. That is you a and fact. Sarah Jane, day one. Oh, my God. Those days. We'll get, we'll get another uh, show reunion sooner than later. We're uh, recording with Sarah in August, but I want to do the cannabis show with you next month. But anyways, yeah. let's, yeah. So back to your question. So, so thinking. <laughs> I'm not know, the, I'm <laughs> the interviewee. What am I doing? Oh, wait. So, you know, thinking seven years back, as you were saying, uh, yeah. this, this journey you've been on, um, you've kind of alluded to it, but I'd love to hear more about, like, share a barrier or challenge that you've had to deal with during your involvement with psychedelics. And, you know, if these rapid changes in the industry has made it better or worse? Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to say the same thing that Sarah Rose Siskin said. It's been mostly good. And the reason it's been mostly good for me is because the barrier was... Uh, an interest, and I have these high-level scientific expertise, um, but I had this barrier of not feeling like it was a option to apply my 
strong scientific expertise to these areas, right? Mm -hmm. So um, with the um, reduction in stigma, with the increase in social acceptance, with the increase of... It's actually, for someone like me, it's quite phenomenal because as a you know PhD in interdisciplinary life sciences, uh, specializing in uh, organic and analytical chemistry, I mean, my skills are like extremely applicable to the field. And I'll say this, um, you know, to the extent where obviously we have the podcast and we're here, you mentioned uh, Marku and Aurora, the consulting firm uh, that Jehan, Marku and I started along with this podcast in 2020. Um, and um, we have a new venture we're working on, uh, which is going to take us even further into applying our skills in uh, fundamental sciences and helping people with um, some of the skill sets that we have, right? So you're asking about barriers. The barrier was that basically the whole journey I've been on the last seven years to arrive here didn't seem like a possibility until, for example, I moved to Massachusetts after grad school and I saw, okay, there is a more liberal attitude here. There's less stigma. It feels like moving into this professionally is an option, right? And then I moved to California, right? And then um, we started our own firm, taking on our own clients, solving hard problems in psychedelics and cannabis. So it's um, it's really been kind of like a, just a steady snowball of the barriers being reduced to being able to apply my skill set to things that matter for helping people. Mm-hmm. You know, those are definitely my thoughts. I mean, the that you know sometimes timing is a little bit of everything and yeah. uh i mean the timing of we met in massachusetts which is ironically was my first time ever speaking live to an audience about cannabis in 2018 in my home state right uh, it's cheers great to that to come back cheers Seriously, to, that, cheers to that and so uh yeah i'm it's been so grateful getting to know you and jayhan and work on all these things it's such a natural uh relationship as you mentioned to like, follow this snowball into the opportunities uh that have been presented uh because yeah. of this you know evolution so you know with that is let's final question here you know is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience here at hli before we we wrap up i think i want to share with the audience at hli what a phenomenal experience it has been at this conference so um We've had the HLI booth. I'm sure a lot of you uh, have seen some of the pictures going around on social, or you will see them uh, as we publish. So just having this booth here, um, we've really gotten to be on the conference floor, obviously recording these interviews. I mean, I think we've racked up like 20, 30 interviews, um, which we'll be publishing all throughout July. And so getting to interact with hundreds of people, just walking through, checking out our art, checking out our custom album covers, asking us, what is this? You know, because it's kind of funny. The signs say how to launch an industry, and there's a bunch of incredible art. It doesn't really say what it is, you know. But, you know, we designed it as such, right? So, anyways, interacting with the people has been incredible. Being able to just run into people that are leaders in the field and that I've known either through Zoom or for real life or met here and say, hey, do you want to come to my booth and record a 10-minute interview? And the amount of them that have said yes and come and sat right where I'm sitting and, and done this and shared with us, that's been incredible. And then, um, and obviously, if you're hearing me say this at the end, you've listened to some of these other interviews and you're hearing um, the energy and the experience that other people are having at this conference. And then, um, so I'll say two more things. Um, 
you know, running the booth and the interviews and all this, I didn't go to a ton of talks, but I, I was selective with the talks I went to. But I mean, some phenomenal talks. There was one yesterday where there was um, Dr. Cozy, Dr. Paul Daly from Shulgin Institute, along with um, Kurt Rasmussen. Uh, please excuse if I'm saying your last name uh, not perfectly, but he's with Delix Therapeutics, um, along with, oh, uh, Charles Nichols was mm -hmm. on the panel. And I mean, just like, and, and apparently um, that group of chemists had never sat together on a stage ever. And it was just incredible. The people on the stage, the people in the audience. And that's, I'm giving a high, that was like a real highlight for me as like a PhD organic chemist. But I think, I think there were 438 talks at this conference. Yeah, you guys can't see Dave's face when he made a face there. So <laughs> anyways, I'm going to wrap it up. So talks are incredible. Um, I always kind of think about this thing. We've talked about it in some of these interviews. On the shoulders of who? What? Mm -hmm. So I want to say thank you to MAPS. I want to say thank you to the, uh, I believe it's Momentum Events, Gina uh, and Shelly. Uh, I hope I'm not saying the event company wrong, but um, Shelly Urish and uh, Gina Vensel to uh, Kevin Balktick, who I understand did a lot of the or organizing of the speakers, to uh, Denver and the people who have, you know, it's another incredible panel I was just watching um, with the regulators here in Denver and mm -hmm. in Oregon who are leading these charges to change the landscape, to be at the cutting edge of drug policy and mental health and community and mm -hmm. humans caring for humans on planet earth. So to those people who have done this in their home state and who are hosting us, you know, um, so that's, I think like on whose shoulders on those people's shoulders, you mm -hmm. know, and I was talking about the, the panel, you know, on the Shulgin shoulders, on Nichols, the Nichols shoulders on all the people's shoulders who came before us in every way mm -hmm. and allowed us to be here recording this together broadcasting it, sharing it. I, I want to echo that, Nigam, as we wrap up here. And, you yeah. know, there's so much respect for, uh, you know, elders and forefathers and, you know, the individuals that paved the way before us. Uh, that and, and, came four, here. and four mothers. And four mothers. Thank you. Thank you. You know, so I'll wrap up there. Thank you, Nigam, uh, for correct, helping correct me there. You know, to have brought over 12,000 people to wade through the sea of, you know, 400 plus talks is just mind blowing. And, you know, the breadth of passionate and dedicated scientists and experts that are here is just, you know, something to really uh, sit back and reflect on. It's been exciting to jam with you as always, sir. Even better when it's in person. Uh, so thank you so much for switching seats with me and sharing your thoughts with the greater HLI audience. All right, listener, thanks for tuning into the culture episode, the third of our three-part series, live from Psychedelic Science. Thanks to our trusty audio engineer, Joe Leonardo, our amazing cover artist, Julia Boot, and everyone who supported the booth and dropped by for an interview at Psychedelic Science. Stay tuned for your usual monthly dose of HLI coming in August and more special edition episodes coming soon.